Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. I want to talk to you about something called repentance. Repentance. And you've heard that, and a lot of churches don't really talk about repentance or repenting. And But tonight, it kind of shows up in the scripture. And so I want to talk to you about repentance. But here's what I want to, I want to lay the groundwork here, because it's not just a sorrowful guy's experience, not just like, oh, God, I'm sorry. And we know what it's like to be sorry about something we've done or something we haven't done that we were supposed to do. We know what it's like to be sorry. But what I want to talk to you tonight is about repentance, a genuine repentance Guys, a genuine true repentance back to God. See, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Here's what he wrote. He said, for godly, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. That's what Paul says. Paul says, listen, godly sorrow comes and says, oh my goodness, I need to change what I'm doing. But worldly sorrow is just us going, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry you feel this way. I'm sorry this happened. And, and so the apostle Paul kind of gives us an, an intro and, and, and he really understood that there were two kinds of what people would call repentance. There were two kinds. You go, well, how so? Well, two kinds of repentance are possible in the human experience, right, church? One is the sorrow of the world that Paul just talked about. You go, what is that? Well, it's a feeling induced by fear of getting caught, right? That's exactly what it is. It's this fear of getting caught in many People recognize that there's some unpleasant consequences of their sin and they're persuaded that, man, I'm guilty. I'm going to get busted, man. And the results are, church, listen, a superficial, a superficial sorrow that does what? Well, when you, when you go, oh my goodness, I'm afraid I'm going to get busted. Oh man, this is not going to be good. God, I'm sorry. This is it. It leads to a superficial Sorrow that leads to a temporary kind of reformation, but it's not a genuine turning to Christ for forgiveness. We're just, we're just sorry that we're going to get caught, or we're sorry that we got caught. And so there's that one that we call, well, did he repent? Yeah. Why? Well, he was sorrowful, and he was crying, and she was crying, and, and it broke their heart. But the, what were they crying about? Church, listen. Listen, they were crying about the fact that they were sorry, not necessarily repentance back to God. You guys tracking with me? It's always those that, that you know, again, here's how I want to lay the foundation because there needs to be a repentance. This church is a platform ministry. This up here is a platform ministry. And when people are up here, they represent the Lord. And whether it's the worship team or the pastor or whoever behind the pulpit, they're leading you into the worship of God. It's a platform ministry. Now, the problem is, is there'll be from time to time somebody who's up here and all of a sudden they're a great singer, they're doing something, and then all of a sudden you'll realize as a church, hey, they're not up there anymore. What happened? They're not up there anymore. What happened? Well, the problem was, is that something, sin caught them, they got busted, and so now we've asked them to step down from the platform ministry. Did they repent? Here's the problem. The problem is, is that they weren't, they were up here singing their songs, worshiping God, but right in the midst of sin. And it wasn't until they got caught that they actually needed to step down. 
That is what Paul talks about godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. The second, or I'm sorry, worldly sorrow, excuse me, the second is godly sorrow. On the other hand, godly sorrow is accompanied by a conviction of sin and and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. This stems from the realization that, now, okay, I'm up here, but I'm offending a holy God, and that should lead us to repentance, not just feeling sorry. You realize, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't want to get busted, I don't want to get caught, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but what I want to do is I realize, oh my goodness, I am so in love with this God, and what I'm doing is wrong, and therefore, that work of the Holy Spirit leads to a... A genuine repentance. An unknown unknown author wrote, There is a radical distinction between natural regret and a God-given repentance. The flesh can feel remorse, acknowledge its evil deeds, and be ashamed of itself. However, this sort of disgust with past actions can be quickly shrugged off, and the individual can soon go back to his old wicked ways. Isn't that true? It's very easy for us to go, oh, how you feel? I'm sad. I'm just really sad, and, and I'm sorry. And, I, and it doesn't take long for time to move, and then you find yourself doing the things that you were doing previously before you got caught. Paul makes it clear, guys, there is a separation between sorrow and repentance. Sorrow and repentance. Now catch this. Guys, they're not the same thing. One can be sorry for their sin without repenting from it. One can be very sorry, oh my goodness, without repenting. You, you guys tracking with me? You, you following me? Because a lot of times, I mean, you're just looking at me going, what's, what's he trying to say? Sorrow, church, describes a feeling. But repentance describes a change in both the mind and the life. Genuine repentance. So tonight, church, listen, we get a glimpse of an exceedingly great city that heard Jonah's message and repented. The question comes up, well, Pastor Ben, did they really repent? Did Nineveh really change their mind? Were they just sorrowful because they knew in 40 days they were going to be destroyed? Well, church, we're going to find that out tonight. Remember where we left off? Jonah was in a whale of a mess, right? He had been inside the fish for three days and three nights. Not sure what he was doing inside the fish, but we do know one thing that he was doing for sure. He was praying up a storm. No no pun intended. We know that he was praying. Well, in the process of time, guess what God did? God spoke to the fish. What did he tell the fish? Well, go with me to verse 10 of chapter 2. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah into dry land. I don't know about you, but I always find this kind of somewhat comical when you think about those fishing on the Mediterranean Sea from the seashore, and here comes this giant fish, and you're looking at it, and we don't know if it's a whale or a shark or just something God created, but nonetheless, there you are fishing, and all of a sudden, guess what? He, and here comes this guy, right? And he comes walking out. And you're just like this. I mean, could you imagine just what you would think? This is crazy. What would, this is, is he alive? What's going on? What did he just, 
What would make this poor fish sick? Well, it was Jonah. Jonah in his disobedience. And, and so what does Jonah do? Well, he gets vomited out into dry land. But here's what I want you to note, church. Listen, if you're a note taker, I want you to realize that it was the fish who always obeyed God. The fish who God spoke and the fish listened and obeyed. Now, here's what blows my mind. Here's what blows my mind. Church, listen, we have a hard time obeying God, don't we? And yet there's the fish who goes, whatever you want to do, God. And I just go, wow. Wow, Lord, I want to be like a fish, right? I want, I, I want to obey that way. Listen, do you, do you think the fish trusted God? Of course he did. And yet you and I, we, we struggle. We're smarter than a fish. And we struggle and we fight and we, and, and we sit there and we contemplate it. God wants me to do this, but let me see. Does he really? Let's, let's, let's chat, God. Let's chat. What do you think? And God's like, this is what I've asked you to do. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. The fish. The fish obeyed. What did, what did God ask the fish to do? What, what, what did God say to the fish? Well, he probably said, hey, listen, it's time for Jonah to do my work. Why? Because last week we said that people need a second chance. Remember last week we said, guys, can we agree that there are people in our lives that need a second chance and a third chance and we need to continue to pray? If God's not giving up on people, why are we? Why do we go, oh, let's step. <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy's never going to come to the Lord. I'm telling you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to invite him to Easter, but I don't think he'll come because that guy is just, he just loves the Listen, can we agree that God wants to give everyone a second and a third and he's going to be here till the end. Pastor, what's your point? Here it is, guys. Do you know why Jesus hasn't come back for us? How many of you go out and go, Lord, today? You know why he hasn't come back for us, church? Because he's still wanting people to come to know him. There's still work to be done. And that's part of our core value. Our core value is to love people back to life, to love people to life, to tell them about the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And that's our job. Well, pastor, he could write it in the sky. Well, he could, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us. Don't ask me why, but he chooses to use us to see people come to Jesus. And it's the coolest thing ever. If you've ever led someone to Jesus, it is the coolest thing ever. Why? Because you stand there and in yourself, you go, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. What happened? I just told him, I was Jesus. He goes, I want that. You want that? Oh, I don't know what to do. Pray with him. Oh, let's just pray. And, and you pray, and the guy prays to receive Christ, and he's like, I'm saved. I'm born. And, 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 and I'll never forget it happened here. I'll never forget someone, listen, like I'm all for going out, like we're going to talk about evangelism in just a minute, but I'm all for going out and hey, listen, wherever you are in the gym or your work or whatever it is, and you're telling people about Jesus, can I get an amen? amen. But what if God brings them to your church? Oh, whoo, that's what I love. Why? God brought him. Pastor, can I talk to you? Come on in. And there was a guy, there was a kid, and he came in and he was struggling in his marriage and we sat down. And you would have seen, I, after about an hour, obviously, a lot of the root system is what? It's sin. A lot of the re- problem that people fight and get in troubles, it's sin. We, we have a lordship issue. 
I want to be on the throne. Anyway, so I'm talking to this guy, led him to the Lord, prayed right here, and you should have seen his face change. Wow, I'm, I'm saved. I feel, and I'm going, look at his face. This is crazy. And he was just like, wow, I just feel like, I just feel light. And he left out of here. I never saw him again. But it's the coolest, coolest thing. Why? Because God's not done with people, guys. He's, he's ready to give people a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. And that's why Jesus hasn't come, because there's work to be done. Do you guys remember there was, I mean, and this was like, I mean, people have been saying Jesus is coming back for how many, how many years? I mean, it's like 1988 and even before that, right? Jesus, I'm glad Jesus didn't come back in 1960 or whatever. 1970, 1980, I'm just, I mean, that's the whole point. Why? Because I don't know if I'd be here. And so, guys, we've got work to do. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God gives a second and third chance? And here's what we always say. Listen, as long as people are breathing, there's always hope. Nineveh was wicked, guys. Nineveh was wicked, and there was still Hope. Well, Jonah was given a second chance to do what God had called him to do. But he's also giving the Ninevites a second chance. Now, here's what I want you to think about this, okay? Here's what I want you to think. Because we always categorize certain things, right? What was Jonah's crime? Let's just chat. What was Jonah's crime? Jonah's crime was, was basically running from God, right? He was running. He was in disobedience. I mean, you could label him as, okay, Jonah's crime, dun, dun, dun. What is it? He ran from God. He disobeyed God. Anybody of you been there? Nobody? Okay. Anybody be disobedient from God? Some of them, I mean, we could line up, Jonah was resigning as a prophet from God. Hey, I'm no longer going to be a pastor. I'm out of here. All these things, guys, are bad things, but most of us would simply go, you know, say, ah, not too bad. I mean, you know, God has amazing plans for Jonah. So listen, the worst that Jonah did is he ran from God. Well, God, in his wonderful wisdom, realizes that Jonah, well, he's not in a right relationship with him. So he sends, he sends the storm, he creates the fish to save Jonah for himself. That's what he does, right? He is a God of second chances, and although we might say that his sin wasn't as great as the Ninevites, we could still say that, well, you know, Jonah's, he, I don't know if we would put Jonah up on trial just from running away from God. But let me share this with you. What about the Ninevites, guys? The Bible says that they were utterly wicked. You guys know the story. You see, it wasn't that the Ninevites were in disobedience. They were wicked. You know what they would do? If you, went to, if you went to Nineveh, the first thing you would see as you walked in was skulls. People they would kill, they would fillet them, and they would take their skull, and they would just build a pyramid right in front of the door. I mean, you walked in, you're like, oh my goodness, look at this. Why? Because they were evil. They didn't care. They didn't have the sanctity of human life. They just killed people. They were wicked. And you're like, okay, so they were wicked, right? It wasn't disobedience. They had an evil lifestyle, and the smell of sin, their sin, and their wickedness filled the nostrils of God. And yet God 
loves the people so much that he's going to send his prophet Jonah to give them a message so they could repent. You, you want a spoiler alert? You want a spoiler alert? That's why Jonah's going to be mad next week. Because he's going to go, God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to save them. They're ugly. They're awful. Oh, they're wicked. I can't believe you would save them. That's spoiler alert. But, but, but here's my point. You ready? God loves people. That's the point. And he, his desire is to see them walking with him. And can I just tell you, some of your friends right now, some of the people you know, some of the people you're praying, they're Jonah's. They're Jonah's. They're a little bit disobedient to God. They're not really walking with God like you like. And you're praying for them. God, please, let them, Lord, let them catch fire. I know. You're right. They're, they're Sunday morning. I don't feel like going to church Sunday morning. I don't know if I want to get involved. I just, I. And you're praying for Jonah's, right? Those are, the, those are some of our friends. Right? They know God. But right now, they might be needing some encouragement. They've walked away for some reason or another. And so that's, that's what you're praying for. But then you have friends that are the Ninevites. These are people who don't know God yet. They don't know God yet. And, 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 and they're your cousins, and they're your brothers. And, and they're your friends, and they're your coworkers. And, and they're not just needing some encouragement. You know they don't know God. And it breaks your heart, church, because you're just like, they don't know God. They don't know God. They don't know the hope that I have. They don't know the forgiveness that I feel. They don't know the compassion when I get to talk to God. They're, they're Ninevites. They're wicked. They're doing stuff, right? And they come in Monday morning and they're like, I got to tell you about the weekend I had. Woo! And you're just like, oh, are you kidding me? Hey, what did you do this weekend? Go to church. And you're just like, wow. So, so what did you do? And when they tell you their story, what ends up happening? It's usually not a fun story, is it? They're like, oh, I can't believe this. Yeah, and it was pretty cool up until 8 o'clock. And then, you know, and then they kind of give you the disaster story. And they, and, they, and they label that as fun. And those are some of our friends that we're, paying, we're, 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 we're praying for. But here's my point, guys. My point is that God loves those people just as well. You know, God loves people. And if we love God, it would stand to say that his children should love people too. When we were in Israel just a couple of weeks back, there's a, a, a group of, of people who, well, there's two groups in Israel. Three, really. You have, you have the Arab Muslims. You have the Jewish people. And then you have the Christians. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of Messianic Jews and so forth. But one of the things is that when we, we came into the Arab Muslims and people, there it was really, it was kind of a, it was a, it was a dark, dark deal. You could see on their faces there was no joy. They had a lot of hate and anger. And these are just people that God loves. And it's really easy to go, oh, and, and the Lord spoke to me, and, 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 and he just said, I love them too. See, those, those are to the world, the Ninevites. 
And, and, and I mean, we've got people that we could just label as Ninevites. They're wicked. They're, they, they deserve. Really? No, 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 no. We deserve. But we got Jesus. And he, and he saved me. Don't you understand? Like, well, what a great salvation we have. Are you kidding me? And we go, oh, oh, okay, okay. See, church, listen to me. Listen, okay? Listen with your heart. It's when we get to the place where we start making observations that it's us versus them that we, that we lose the ability to share with them. Because that was me. That was me. Listen, not a one of us came out saved. You know what I'm talking about? We weren't born saved. You might have been born in a church. Your mama might have just, I mean, you might have just born in the first pew of your church. That doesn't mean you're saved. You still have to have a real relationship with Jesus. And the problem is, guys, the problem is, is that God loves people and we need to love people. How do we do that? We have to ask, Lord, help me see them the way you see them. We may not always agree. You know what I'm talking about? We may not always agree and be like, well, we're going to be BFF. But we go, I want to I wanna see them because God, here's, here, here's your calling. Your calling is to love God. Your calling is to love people, to see them come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Guys, listen, there's hope. There's hope. You guys tracking? You, you, it's easy to love the Jonas. Oh, he's a little disobedient. He's a little off. It's okay, but he's, he'll be all right. But not so much the Ninevites. It wasn't that Jonah's problem. Lord, I'm going to go to Nineveh. They're wicked. They're ugly. Their feet smell. Whatever it is, and you're going to save them. I know you're going to save them. I know it. And I'm going to be really bummed because you're going to save them. Well, isn't that what God wants? Isn't, I mean, think about that. Isn't that what he did, he did with us? Don't you ever feel like God reached down and pulled you from the miry clay, and he put your feet on a solid... Don't you ever feel like that? Why do we lose? Why have we lost that loving feeling when it comes to other folks? That's the encouragement, guys. So, Jonah. He probably got vomited somewhere near the shore of Joppa, and right back where he started from. It says, now, verse 1, we, we talked about this last week. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach that message that I tell you. Remember last week, Jonah didn't know what God wanted him to say. We know in chapter 1, he knew what he wanted him to say, but right now he's saying, just go, go. And I love this, because if you're taking note, you could write this down, right? Complete obedience, complete obedience. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've used this analogy so many times, but if you've ever asked your child to take the trash out and they take and they go, oh, and they fight you, right? And you're like, is that, is that complete obedience? Oh, well, why can't so-and-so do it? Will you just take the trash? Listen, it's overfilling. And here's what they do. Here's what they do. Tell me if this is complete obedience. They pull it out, half the trash falls down, and they drag it through the house. Right? They leave a trail of trash and whatever else you threw in there. Church, is that complete obedience to what you asked them to do? No. Why? Because their heart, even though they did, 
a poor job of what you asked them to do, their heart wasn't in it, was it? Right here, Jonah doesn't know the message, but he goes, I'm in, I'm in. And I'm going to go with a better attitude. I'm going to go with a better, Lord, whatever. What's the message? I don't know. I'll, you tell me when you get there, whatever you want to do. And guys, you want to find rest for your souls? Trust the Lord. Trust him for the message he will give you at the time that you need it. Trust the Lord. One pastor writes of this story. He says, the story of Jonah demonstrates why God so often leads us one step at a time without telling us more. Jonah, go. What am I supposed to do? Don't worry about it. I got you. When God told Jonah that he would say in Nineveh, Jonah rejected the call. God often only tells us what we can handle at the time. That's what he says. Gracious is giving Jonah a second chance. God again commissioned him to go to Nineveh. Jonah is, the act, is actually the only prophet sent by God to preach repentance to a foreign land. Jonah, go. Look at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three-day journey in extent. So uh, remember we talked about this last week? Jonah gets spit up, right? He gets vomited from this. I wonder what he looked like. You know what I'm saying? I mean, first of all, you're sitting there fishing, right? Honey, I'm going fishing. Okay, sweetie. And there you are in the Mediterranean, and you're just like, you know, and here comes this dude, right? This fish throws him up, and you're like, you know, I mean, what did he look like, right? I mean, first of all, let's do this. I bet his skin was bleached, bleached white. I mean, he looked like a ghost, right? I mean, the first thing you're like, it's a ghost. That's the first thing. The second thing is most likely, I would bet, through all the acidic juices, he didn't have any hair. So now it's Casper the friendly ghost. I mean, that's what he looks like, right? He's coming out this way, and you're just like, right, this is scary. This is scary. I mean, you're never fishing in the Mediterranean again. You're just like, okay, I'm done. Could you imagine if you had been drinking a little bit, what you would think? It's like, okay, throw the bottle down. This is nuts, right? And you go home. Can you imagine going, honey, what are you doing so home early? I love you. Okay, what did you do? I don't know. I saw, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> what? Tell me. What's the matter? This fish? Yeah. This giant fish came, and he threw up a man. <laughs> Come here. Let me smell your breath. Come here. No, no, no. Seriously. Seriously. Okay. <laughs> what did he look like? Well, that's what freaked me out, right? He was completely white. Okay, so this fish threw up a man and he was... Com- Did he have any hair? He didn't have any hair. He didn't have any hair. So you have this bald, bleached... And then I bet he smelled. Right? I mean, you ever leave your fish in the refrigerator for more than three days? I hope not. And then that's when you go and you're like, honey, what's it smell? What, what smells in here? Oh, I don't know. Right? You forgot you bought fish. And there, I mean, think about what he smelled like. So now you got this guy walking. I mean, I don't know if he's got a, a crank in his back like I had Sunday because he was in the fish. I don't know if it was like, hey, this is cool. Nonetheless, I mean, it's just crazy. You guys, you guys with me? So, I mean, here's this guy. I'm just trying to paint this picture. And you're just going, oh, my goodness. 
It's a ghost, and he stinks. So what does Jonah do? He goes to Nineveh, and he enters the city. He enters the city, and I mean, you know what his message is? Hey, man, God loves you guys. He's got a plan for your life. That's not his message, right? What's his message? Yet 40 days, y'all, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Judgment. Judgment's coming. Well, I mean, think about this, right? Think about this. You're a Ninevite, and you're walking your dog, and you see this dude come in, right? And let's just be honest. The smell got there three days before he did. And you're just like... What is that? And here comes a guy, and here's his message. And I mean, y'all are picturing this guy, right? No hair, none, white, right? And you're just like, of course you're going to believe his message. But God gave Jonah a very specific message, guys. He says 40 days. Everybody knew what 40 days was. 40 days, judgment. And Nineveh's going to be destroyed. Nineveh's going to be destroyed. Now, church, listen, listen. He gave Jonah a very specific message. You know what I'm talking about? He gave, this was for Jonah, okay? He gives us a different message. There are times when we are witnessing and we're sharing and we need to share the love of Jesus. We need to share the compassion. We need to share, we need to share forgiveness. We need to, say, we need to share, guys, you want to share your testimony, just tell people what God has done in your life. And so, and so, again, that's our message. But let me tell you this. There are and will be times in your life under the power of the Holy Spirit that maybe God gives you a specific message for a fellow Christian. A specific message. You go, well, like what? Well, basically, he or she might be going down the wrong path, and God says, you need to speak to them. He might give you a message of judgment. He might give you a message of judgment. But for the most part, guys, I'll tell you what people are looking for. Do you love the way Christ loved? Do you love that way? Do you love people the way that Christ would love people? Now, Christ may have a specific message. You might have a friend that the Lord impresses upon you that he's, he's on his way to commit adultery. And you know that's going to wreck the family, and that's going to wreck, and the consequences are ugly. And so God might tell you, hey, go tell your friend. And you're scared, and you're just like, hey, listen, I don't know, but listen, I feel like the Lord tells me, you know, you're, you, what you're doing is wrong, and they might break down and repent. How did you know? Who told you? I haven't told anybody. This is just... Listen, the Lord knows, and he's trying to save you. Oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. You're right. You're right. That's a specific message. But for the most part, guys, we're, we're, we're giving people a message of love and grace and encouragement. And why is that important? Because this world is so discouraging that I think it's important for us to, to tell people There are three words that a lot of us long to hear. You know what they are? 
Oh, you would think I would love you, but you know what they are? I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. God is pleased with you. He's got a plan for you. And in our hearts and our minds and our spirits, we go, how could God do that? I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Because we want to see people how God sees people. And we want to see him. And and the finished version of you is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. How many of you have made it? Exactly. None of us have made it. We're still walking. We still got struggles. We still got issues. We got problems. But yet, listen, listen. God sees the finished result. God sees the finished end. And he's like, man, I've got a plan for you. I've got, oh, you don't understand. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. What's the goal, church? Whatever message he gives us, what's the goal? So people could repent. Right? Think about that specific message and you saying, hey, listen, I, I don't know how to put this, but God told me that you're on your way to sin and you're on your way to commit adultery and, and you're going to mess up the family and it's going to be ugly and awful. There are two types, right? The guy could go, I am, help me church, sorry. I feel sorrowful. And so he backs up. He does a little moonwalk. He stays calm for a little while, but then as a few weeks pass, guess where he is again? Because why? Because worldly sorrow doesn't lead to repentance. Or he can go, I need to repent. I need to change direction and go, hey, listen, thank you, brother. Could you, could you, could you keep me accountable? Could, man, listen, when I'm feeling this way, can I just call you? Of course, man. I'm here, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Church, listen, you know why we're a body of Christ? You know why we're a body? Because God never intended us to do life alone. Right? There's no Lone Ranger Christian. Why? We get caught up and, and, and we need to walk with brothers and we need to walk with sisters and we need to, we need to be there for each other. The reason, we, the reason we don't reach out to a brother or sister and say, listen, I, I, just, I just love you. Can you help me? The reason why is because P-R-I-D-E, pride. We, just, we don't want people to know that we are messing up. And yet, here's the thing. We're all mess-ups. If, if we can grasp that, then we can do life together and we can lift each other up and God will come in and he'll fill in the rest. May it never be in this church, guys, where somebody comes in and sits one of these blue chairs and thinks, man, you people got it all together. Because we don't, do we? (laughs) We're just going, have it all together? Are you serious? I just crawled in here tonight. And I just, I just needed Jesus. And if God can use me with a smile to touch someone else's heart, that's all I want. That's all I want. So, verse 5, the people of Nineveh, guess what? The people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put a sackcloth, and from the greatest to the least of them. Now, let's chat for just a moment. Remember last week, we said the word repentance isn't in the passage, but remember, repentance really isn't a word, it's something you do. And so, all of these people did repentance, they turned, 
And where does repentance? Repentance begins with believing God. As we believe him and his word, we have the power to transform our lives as he wills. We've got to turn. Guys, you can do many other things associated with repentance, but if they don't begin with believing and trusting God, they're going to be useless works of the flesh. So what is the first thing that people did? They believed God. You have 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. Amen, I believe you, God. I believe you. When it, where does belief come from, church? In the heart. Do you believe in the heart? So what did they do? They proclaimed a fast. They proclaimed a fast. Where is a fast done? You know, what is a fast? It's when they abstain from food and water. They're just like, listen, this is serious. So belief is done in the heart. A fast is done where? In the body. And then they put on sackcloth, right? And this is done with emotions. You go, how so? It's always been a sign of mourning. Take off your nice clothes and put on your, your, your mourning clothes. And so guess what? It encompasses all of you. Why? It encompasses your heart, your body, and your emotions. Did you guys catch that? That's what repentance is. And so we come to our text tonight, guys, and I'm calling this message Nineveh Repents. For tonight, we discover that the people will make a change. And it gives us the courage to make the same change. Look at verse 6. Now, the word of the Lord came to the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now, everybody notice, this is the king of Nineveh. This is the king. Now, we're not sure who he is. It's either Adad Neari III or Assyrian III. We're not sure who he is. But here's what he did. We do know what he did. He exchanged his royal robe for sackcloth and ashes, right? Reports of Jonah, probably. I mean, think about this. Let's just say they lived in a world full of, of Facebook and Twitter. And I mean, people are like in, in, in Java going, check this out. This is, this, there's, this, there's this white, bleached, bald, smelly dude walking to Nineveh. And so by the time he got there, he's like, oh, oh, okay, okay. But here's what I want you to catch. You guys ready? Jot this down, Okay. The king set an example for the rest of the city. He heard the words, he obeyed, he humbled himself before God. How so? He removed his kingly robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, he poured ashes upon his head, which is a great sign of mourning. Pastor, your point, you ready? Jot this down, church. You have to set the examples for others. You have to be the example. Why? Church, listen, people are watching you. I want you to picture the scene in your mind. Jonah comes in, yet 40 days and you're going to be there. And he probably was a, a, more of the message, but that's all we got. And the king, the leader, the head honcho, he goes, oh, and he takes off and he sits down and he pours ashes and everyone is watching him. And I thought, you know what? Listen, we have to be the example in our homes, in our works, everywhere we are. Why? Because listen, church, people are watching you. They really want to see if your walk matches your talk. They want to see that. Listen, if you are in any way raising teenagers, they are the best at discerning 
hypocrites. Your teenager will, will, will listen. You know, remember that old, that old famous saying, do as I say, not as I do? It doesn't work for the Christian. We need to be the example. We need to be the example. I read a story years ago. A communist government in China commissioned an author to write a bi- biography of Hudson Taylor. And the purpose of this was to distort the facts and present him as a bad life, a bad light. He wanted to discredit the name of this consecrated missionary of the gospel. So the author was commissioned. The author was doing his research. He was increasingly impressed by Taylor's saintly saintly character and godly life. He found it extremely difficult to carry out his assigned task with a clear conscience. Eventually, at the risk of losing his life, he lay aside his pen, renounced his atheism, and received Jesus as his personal savior. Whether he realized it or not, our example leaves an impression on others. The king, was a, the, the, the king was a great example, guys, and the king set an example for all to follow. And here's what I'm thinking. Don't you, we need to set an example where? Guys, can we set an example in our marriages? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Be example. Why? Your kids are watching you. In our marriages, it takes work. It takes work. Work's easy to get back and get in the comfort zone, man. Been married, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years, whatever it is, we get comfortable. No, 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 no. It takes work. Why? People are watching. People are watching. Been married a year, two years, three years, five years. People are watching. Be the example. Why? Because you have Christ in you. Be the example. How else? Well, we need to be the example, guys, in our homes. We need to be the example in our homes. What are we watching? What are we watching? What are our kids looking at you? Why? You're their example. You're the example. And we have to take that stand and say, okay, this is the example I want to set. I want to set. This is what we're going to do. We have to be the example. What about example at work? That's a tough one. Why? Because, I mean, guys, we have, to, we, we have to work like we work for Jesus. Why? Your coworkers are watching you. They're watching you. We have to be their example in relationships. You go, how so? They're okay, guys, with relate jot this down. They're okay with relationships that has boundaries. You say, okay, this relationship I know has I gotta have some boundaries. Why? Because when I spend too much time with this person, I end up going and I, I end up being like this. So we have to set some boundaries, but you have to be the example. You have to be the example in your different relationships. The king was a great example. Jot this down. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love, spirit, faith, and purity. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Timothy, be an example. Be an example to the believers. How? In the word of God. Church, study the word of God. In conduct, how you behave. How you behave. In love in your spirit, in faith, and in purity. Verse 7. How much time do I have? Okay, eight minutes. Then he ceased. Look at verse 7. Then he caused 
it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh that a decree of the king and the noble saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Not even the dogs. I mean, think about this. And you go, Pastor, what's the point? Well, here it is, guys. When he says man or beast, it was a Persian custom to use animals in their mourning ceremonies. And, and here's what blows my mind. Jonah comes in and he says, 40 days. And the king says, okay, you're right. Let's make a, procl- let's make a proclamation. Nobody eats or drinks. This order was to make the mourning that much greater. Here's the key. You ready? It was a total fast. They made the animals fast as well, and this fast did not even allow the drinking of water. Why? Because they wholly believed the message that Jonah brought, and they repented. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper. Look at verse 8. But let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. What's the key here, guys? You can write right next to it in a big letter and highlight it. It's repentance. That's what they're doing. It's a change. They're not just sorry. 40 days and you're going to be overthrown. Oh, so we're sorry, Jonah. We're sorry, God. I got an idea. All of you, update your Facebook and tell God you're sorry. They repented. And repentance means crying out mightily to God, and it comes. And it means coming to God with a passion and a seriousness about your sin and your need for his mercy and forgiveness. Pastor David Guzik writes this, so much of modern repentance with its claim of excuses and reasons why we sinned is really not repentance at all. It's only an attempt to justify and excuse our sin. Nevertheless, you sinned or you didn't. If you did, there's no excuse. And if you haven't, there's no need to repent. Repentance and excuses simply do not belong together. Can I get an amen? You know what he just said? He said, listen, sometimes we think that repentance is simply going, well, let me tell you why I did what I did. Well, let me tell you why. Listen, here's why. Here's why. And we could come up with all kinds of excuses. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, why did you do this? Well, it all started when I was a baby. What happened? My my mom pinned my diaper too tight. Really? Yeah. And, and, And it just caused me on a path to... We can make excuses that are just silly. That's not modern repentance, is it? Modern repentance is this, guys. It's looking in your heart and going, God, where am I with you? And I'm totally sorry, and I want to change these things. Why? Because I want to walk closer to you. I want to walk closer to you. He says, yes. Verse 9. Who can tell, notice what they say, who can tell if God will turn and relent or turn away from his fierce anger that we, so that we may not perish, so we may not perish. Now, it seems like if the people started saying this, saying, because the king already gave command and it's like, listen, who knows? Who can tell if God will relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we don't perish? And I love this. And let me just, let me just, uh, let me just kind of end with this in verse 10, okay? Uh, here's what I love about evangelism. You ready? It's up to the Lord. 
your job is not to go, oh man, here's the thing. People used to ask me all the time, pastor, when you give an invitation and nobody comes forward, what do you do? I go, it's not my responsibility. Why? Because it's God's responsibility who he's going to save. You know what my job is? My job is to simply give the gospel. Hey, how many of you would like to repent and give your life to Jesus once and for all? Oh, nobody, nobody raised. Oh, you must be embarrassed. Not at all. See, you got to get past that. Why? It's not up to me who gets saved. I'm just supposed to be the messenger. That's exactly what they're saying here, guys. They're saying, listen, who can tell? It's God. God. Listen, your job, you ready? Your job is simply to give the gospel. Your job is simply to give the gospel. And trust the Lord for the results. There are times, there are times when people will come and they'll, they'll feel the weight of the Holy Spirit and they'll repent and they'll, and they'll, listen, they'll cry right here and give their lives to the Lord. There are other times when people walk forward, they'll feel the what? They won't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit so much as they'll feel the guilt of their sin and they'll have this worldly sorrow and so they'll still come forward hoping that God will, you know, just kind of pardon them for a little bit, but then they walk out the door and they go back to the same thing. Here's what we're looking for. You ready, church? We're looking for what Nineveh did. Nineveh said, we're going to repent. And what does God do? Look at verse 10 as we close. Then God saw their works and they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster and that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. See, God did not change his ultimate intention toward the Ninevites. Rather, they changed their attitude toward him. On the basis of that change, God could deal with them in grace rather than judgment, as their failure to repent would have necessitated. Guys, It's about repentance. It's about really understanding our sin and what it's done and how it's affected the Lord that we need to come to the place. And listen, you don't have to sit here and go, wow, I went to a church service on Wednesday night and I felt convicted and I I went forward. Listen, you can repent wherever you are, but listen, if you don't repent, then you'll have some just some worldly sorrow and you're going to end up still on, on a disastrous road. How do I know? Because God relents from destroying Nineveh in the book of Jonah, but later on they'll get destroyed because they go back to their ways. Several years, several years later, they go back. And so what's God telling us, church? He's saying, hey, listen, listen, today, look in your heart. Look in your heart. What does repentance mean? It means a change of direction. It means to make a change. It means believing God and making that change. And that's what repentance is, and that's what it's all about. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. Listen, repentance, guys, repentance alone doesn't save you. It's putting your faith and trust and turning back to God. And here's what I love about God. Today, he's saying, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And all you have to do is make that decision to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I've made some mistakes, but I'm turning and I'm changing my ways and I'm going to follow you. And that's what the Ninevites did. Guys, look what they did. 
their sin was so great that the king said, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to proclaim a fast. We're going to put sackcloth. We're going to put ashes on our head. And everybody's going to know. And hopefully God will look down and say, look at that. They had a changed attitude. They got to change heart. And that's what he's asking us to do. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word and the truth of your word. Lord, thank you, God, that this Bible study went by so fast. At least it went fast for me, Lord. And, and so, Lord, maybe that's, maybe that's the cry of our heart tonight. That some of us in this room feel like we do need to repent. That we've been sorry for a lot of things, but Lord, we want to just walk closer to you. And so that requires what Nineveh did. And God, if you're willing to, if you're willing to forgive a wicked city like Nineveh, how much more through Jesus Christ are you willing to forgive us? So, Lord, we confess our sin to you and we repent. Not a big topic in church anymore, Lord, but your word shows it. And so we thank you for the book of Jonah. So, God, bless these people, Lord. Bless these people, Lord. Bless these people. Thank you for tonight in Bible study. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.